Welcome to Disciple Making Over Lunch, a podcast discussing the ideas and practices of making disciples of Jesus. We believe the best conversations happen over food. So grab your lunch and join us as we discuss how to have and help others have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. This is Disciple Making Over Lunch. Welcome to Disciple Making Over Lunch. I'm Brian French, and I'm here with my podcast partners, Danish House and PJ Boganiewski. Guys, it has been a hot minute since we've recorded (laughs) anything for Disciple Making Over Lunch. Great to have you guys back. Hey, good to be back, Brian. Uh, Yeah, I I feel like uh, I've lost a whole lot of hair since the last time uh, we recorded a podcast. (laughs) And how are you doing, PJ? Uh, Since the last time we talked, uh, I have closed a church plant and moved into a new ministry position as a pastor of discipleship in Auburn. We bought a house and we're renovating it. And just to say that there's no two seconds that are open in my schedule is an understatement. Oh, I was just about to ask you, what are you doing with your free time? Because that's just, you know, moving, buying a house, starting a new ministry, closing a church. What else are you doing? That, that's fantastic. I, I'm I'm losing hair. <laughs> <laughs> I am just about finished up my uh, dissertation on uh, fundraising. I'm just finishing off some interviews, so I'm excited Good about that. You. Yeah, that's I am. Cool. I am super excited to get that done. But that doesn't mean that the the podcast has sat idle. Uh, we have been no. thinking about new things that we've been doing. And Danish, you had a great opportunity to chat with a great guest recently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things we're going to be doing in the podcast uh, in the near future is doing some interviews with authors of books that we found especially helpful in our disciple making. And I recently had the chance to sit down for a talk with Jay Stringer. Uh, Jay is a uh, licensed mental health counselor and ordained minister. He lives in Seattle, Washington. And uh, his book actually is called Unwanted How Sexual Brokenness reveals our way to healing. Um, it's a great book. I've actually been using this book with some people in my church uh, for helping folks to, to uh, explore their sexual brokenness and to find ways uh, to healing. And uh, we've found it to be tremendously powerful. So I was excited to get the chance to sit down with Jay and, and have a conversation with him about some of the themes of his book and uh, some and sort of as a taster, you know, so encourage people to, to get the book and read it, but also hopefully be helpful as a podcast uh, as well. Well, one of the things I really like about uh, Jay's material is he talks about, instead of mentioning sexual addiction, he uses the term unwanted sexual behavior. Yeah. And man, as soon as I saw that term, just realized, you know, for years and years and years, you talk about sexual addiction and it just puts this uh, negative spin on it like you're stuck in this and there's no way to get out of it and uh just by calling it unwanted man just brought it right to the surface and said yeah i don't want this stuff in my life i don't i don't want these these uh patterns anymore so i I just think that that title just kind of brings it to the surface and presents it in a way that you're just ready to say yeah can somebody take this stuff from me yeah and i think there's a uh a huge need for the church to kind of figure out how to uh, talk about it. It's not something that, you know, is often heard about in sermons, except for 
um, uh, avoid it as much as possible yeah, and do your do. best. And then yeah. you don't really get together and talk about it. So my hope is that as, as uh, the pastors and leaders who are listening to our podcast, listen to this interview, we'll find some ways to talk about uh, these issues. I'm looking forward to sharing this with you guys. And uh, so here, here's uh, part one of my interview with Jay Stringer. I'm here with Jay Stringer. Jay, welcome to Disciple Making Over Lunch. It's great to have you here. Danish, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's an honor to be here. That's uh, exciting to me. I, I, I mentioned to you earlier, and I'll mention to our audience here, that this is a book that I've used with uh, people in my church who are struggling with unwanted sexual um, behaviors. And uh, it has been really powerful and helpful for uh, the people who have used it. And uh, so it's, it's an honor for me to have the opportunity to talk with you about this today. So glad to hear. Jay, in your book, uh, the book is Unwanted, uh, How Sexual Brokenness Reveals Our Way to Healing. It's from Nav Press. In your book, Unwanted, you talk to people who are dealing with unwanted sexually related feelings and, and, and actions. Uh, and I think over the course of time, the church has really had a difficult time understanding these sorts of issues. Do you see sexual addiction as being I don't know, primarily a medical issue or a counseling issue or a moral issue? Yeah, I, I would say that it's uh, D, all of the above. Okay. I, I mean, I think when we look at it from a medical issue, we know that uh, something like erectile dysfunction in 20-year-olds uh, is very much correlated to porn-induced erectile mm. dysfunction. Uh, we look at sexually transmitted infections that are happening to teenagers, but also to you know people in geriatric settings. Mm. Uh, certainly a medical issue, uh, and I mean definitely a moral issue as well. Uh, but I would say in terms of my work, and I know I'm biased as a therapist and as a minister, I, I think the greatest ROI, the return on investment would be for the church, for pastors to kind of see it as a counseling issue. Um, we know that addictions and compulsive behaviors actually have a very long and you know, predictable course to them. Mm. Uh, and so uh, part of what I would say is if you invite people to see that their sexual brokenness and the problems that they are facing uh, are actually very important teachers uh, in mm. order to grow, uh, to grow in godliness, to grow in an understanding of their story. Uh, I, I think the return on that investment is much greater. So uh, yeah. yes, all of those issues, but I think counseling uh, is the best approach to take. Well, I definitely want to come back to the idea of sexual addiction as a teacher, because that's an odd one. I think for a lot of Christians, but the the, sure. the the idea of a moral issue. I mean, I I in my I've been in the church for you know thirty years. Um, in my in my time in the church, it seems as though the church's approach to uh, sexual addiction has been basically you know stop. It's just like <laughs> here's, yeah. here's your it's 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 a moral issue. You know, you should confess your sin to the Lord and um, be forgiven of it, and you should stop doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So for a lot of Christians, it's it's an odd idea that sexual activity can be an addiction because yeah. we, we see things that addict you as being like, you know, cigarettes. So you, you put it in your mouth, you you puff and smoke and and there's a chemical that goes into your body and it it, it and it addicts you or you, know, you take uh, drugs and, and you, know, you drink alcohol and it affects your brain. 
Um, how can sexual activity be an addiction? Uh, great question, Danish. And I would say in very similar ways that smoking and drinking and using drugs can. Uh, part of mm -hmm. what we know, and this is from uh, a guy named Gary Wilson wrote a book called Your Brain on Porn. Uh, but so much of what he underscores is basically pornography uh, contributes to the overstimulation of the reward circuitry. So, mm. uh, you know, we have something called dopamine in our system uh, that's responsible for pleasure, but also motivation and attention. Uh, and basically what happens is porn kind of stimulates those dopamine receptors, but then the brain doesn't respond as much. And so therefore we feel less reward from the initial pleasure that we first found in using porn. Mm. Uh, so a lot of times for men and women, that drives them to search for even harder feelings of satisfaction. So they might seek out, you know, more extreme types of sexual stimuli. They need longer porn sessions. They need more frequent porn sessions or maybe... Mm. Uh, they need to kind of escalate their risk in order to achieve some of that same effect. Mm -hmm. uh, and so part of, you know, I forget who coined this phrase, phrase, but it's essentially the neurons that fire together, wire together. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if every single time, let's say you're a man that you feel stressed, uh, you feel like you've made a bid to your wife for sex, she's declined you. Uh, and then you go off to using porn, part of what you're bonding to uh, could be your phone, but it's also to the pornography. So your brain begins to associate anger, resentment, betrayal to a type of arousal. Mm. Um, and so, you know, as you said, smoking, alcohol, drugs, I would also put in porn and a lot of unwanted sexual behavior uh, fits a lot of the same criteria for addiction. And some of the greatest kind of work on addiction that's being done, uh, you know, one guy by the name of Dr. Gabor Mate kind of just mm. says isolation, powerlessness, and pain uh, are precisely the conditions that promote the neurobiology of addiction. And so it's not enough to just say it's a moral issue or it's a, uh, you know, a, a chemical issue, far more uh, addiction appeals disproportionately to people who have experienced a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, and feel a lot of powerlessness in their life. And sort of using porn or using uh, illicit sexual activity uh, sort of fills some sort of hole or, or gap in their, in their lives? Yeah. So it, the way that I would think about kind of something like unwanted sexual behavior is that uh, addiction behaviors provide us with a sense of relief Mm. Uh, but also a sense of power and revenge. Mm. Um, and so when you kind of look at, you know, let's say I, I'm dealing with a lot of difficulty in my church or in mm. my business, uh, it, it's really easy to kind of say, I don't know how to get through another day. There's so many crises that I don't know how to resolve. If I actually told anybody about what I was dealing with, I probably wouldn't get much support. Uh, so it would be much easier to just kind of go to porn for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, because I can get exactly what I want, feel some pleasure, feel some arousal. Um, so you have a sense of escape, but I think in the backdrop might be an anger at your occupation an anger at your spouse and mm -hmm. anger at some of the difficulties that you face throughout your life. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think that's what we have to kind of hold together with regard to any addiction is every addiction brings comfort, uh, mm -hmm. but every addiction is also a type of, uh, working out 
rage and anger uh, against the people and settings that have actually brought us misery. Uh, this you you mentioned the the phrase the neurons that fire together wired together. So what you're saying yeah. is that that porn use actually uh, changes the the physical structure of a person's brain. Yes, it does. Very. That's much astonishing. So. And as and that's and the, and the same is it true is. for drug use and other addictions, or is that only true for pornography? No, it's true for kind of all compulsive behaviors. Um, and so I, I think that's part of the wonder of something just called neuroplasticity mm. is that your brain can actually change. And so, uh, you know, part of, we, we can get to this later on in the show, but part of, you know, learning how to tolerate and deal with difficult emotions is really central to uh, developing healing from sexual brokenness. So, you know, the, the neuroscientists these days use a wonderful phrase that says, name it to tame it. So if I'm able mm. to name my anger, if I'm able to name my heartache, my sorrow, um, my brain actually releases oxytocin and mirror neurons that basically say, you know, uh, I am going through something pretty hard. And that allows the naming of the emotion to actually bring soothing and taming to it. And so I don't think that that's terribly different than what Psalm 131 is inviting us to, where it says, you know, uh, basically like a wean child, like a wean child is my soul within me. Mm. Um, uh, and, and so what is the psalmist doing? The psalmist is recognizing that something in me is distressed, something is, in me is anxious, um, and I need to be able to uh, identify what those emotions are. Mm. Wow. And it says in Corinthians that uh, you know we need to be uh, have the renewal of our minds that we you know that Jesus mm -hmm. has come to renew our minds. To me, that that has a lot deeper meaning when we think about neuroplasticity. <laughs> yes, I, and I love that you bring up um, at least what I'm thinking of now is like Romans twelve two, uh, oh, that the the ability to kind of be able to say you know do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. And I think for a lot of Christians, we are trying to get rid of our sexual mind, our sexual brokenness mind. Uh, but I think part of what the gospel invites us to is you really cannot transform something that you don't know. Uh, and so part of my uh, approach in Unwanted, but also in the online course that I have, is a, is a very counterintuitive approach to dealing with sexual brokenness that isn't what I would refer to as lust management, where you kind mm. of just pray, pray the problem away, you get into accountability, you get some internet monitoring, and you just try and bounce your eyes for the rest of your life. Yeah, we yeah. know that those things don't work. And so yeah, I think yeah. part of what we have to do is to turn and face our fantasies, our problems directly. And as I said earlier, to allow our sexual brokenness to be a teacher, because the more that we understand our sexual mind and what motivates it, uh, the more that we will be able to submit it to the lordship of Jesus and allow our minds to be transformed. Uh, so that, let's get to that question of of your of your fantasies being your teachers. It seems like that's a difficult thing for Christians to embrace, right? The idea that exploring a person's fantasies can be instrumental in finding healing. Uh, like you said, we, we, we talk about uh, avoidance or abstinence. Uh, I, remember, I, mean, I remember the most, most uh, influential book uh, back 20 years ago 
uh, talked about that idea of bouncing your eyes. You just need to develop habits that will you know, prevent you from sinning. Um, it, but why is that counterproductive? Yeah, I mean, I, I think just on a really practical note, whenever I hear people say that, I, I just say, like, how is that working for you? And yeah, the yeah, yeah. Fruit, of, fruit of that tree is not, it, it, it's not very plentiful. Um, and so, uh, you know, this is a lot of my work is kind of built on another guy named Dr. Mark Laser. And one of the quotes that kind of rocked my world when I first read it was that he said, uh, you know, our sexual fantasies are nothing to be ashamed of. They are, in fact, our greatest teachers. Mm. Uh, and uh, and I think if you begin to look at almost any area of your life, you see that that's true, that a lot of whether it's anger, whether it's sadness, whether it's depression, uh, those things are like clarion calls that are trying to get your attention. And so in the I did some research uh, for my book on about 4000 men and women who are struggling with uh, sexual brokenness, whether that was uh, involvement with porn, uh, infidelity, buying sex, hookups. Uh, and so one of the things that my research looked at was in some ways, what type of porn did you seek out when you actually looked at porn? Um, and a lot of the major porn sites throughout the world actually keep track of primary search for terms. And so you see a lot of things revolving around mother-oriented porn or incest porn, uh, maybe a particular body type, uh, a particular race. Um, mm. And so my research looked at if that was your sexual fantasy, uh, what did that actually say about you? So one example of this would be uh, men who tended to look at, let's say, uh, college porn or teenagers that were barely legal, or maybe a race that suggested to them some level of subservience they tended to have a fairly predictable backstory. They had uh, a very strict father growing up. Mm. They were dealing with a lot of futility in their present day life. Like they didn't like their jobs. They, they looked back at their life and saw a lot of failure. Mm. And they were dealing with very, very high levels of shame. And so I think part mm. of the, the process of maturity is to be able to connect the dots between the sexual fantasies that I face, that I'm battling are actually not random. Uh, they are connected to stories in my life that I haven't addressed. And so, mm. you know, let's say that this guy that I'm working with in my, in my private practice as a therapist looks at college age porn and then begins to kind of tell me, you know, I work in investment brokerage and mm. my boss is just a, um, it, he is a very mean, uh, aggressive man. And then he mm. tells me that he goes to watch this type of porn. Part of what we have to connect the dots to is that he's being powered over in his day-to-day -day life. And part of the appeal to porn is not just boredom or uh, self-medicating, but it, it, it gives him a world, you know, as Genesis 3 talks about, the, the experience of a man is really thorns and thistles. By the sweat of our brow, we're going to get through life. And so what does porn offer to most men? Uh, the ability to find a world without thorns and thistles, that I can mm. get exactly what I want when I want it. And nothing else on the planet offers us that much immediate reward. And, and um, control. And, yeah. And precisely. Great word, Danish. Um, so it, this is, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, from a guy named Richard Rohr, who says, uh, 
the pain that we do not transform, we transmit. Always mm. someone else has to suffer because I don't know how to. Mm. Um, and so I think that's that's part of when we look at our struggle with porn, uh, we have to recognize that there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of uh, difficulty that informs the decisions that we're making. Um, so I think if we are willing to be curious about our sexual fantasies and the path that got us there, uh, we will find so much more progress in our yeah. ability to outgrow porn rather than just trying to stop it. Jay, you, you use the you use the the uh, you've referred to shame a couple of times in in this last uh, answer, and uh, you talked about how our something to be ashamed of, but there may be something to learn from. But you also mm -hmm. talked about how high degrees of shame can be something that keeps a person involved in pornography. What, what do you see as the role that shame plays in sexual addiction? Yeah, it is, it is massive. Um, so, I mean, I think the way that we typically understand shame is that, you know, it, it feels pretty straightforward. Like I, I look at porn, I have an affair, therefore I feel shame. Mm -hmm. uh, but what my research showed and what I think is actually pretty counterintuitive is that uh, the reverse is also true. The more that I feel shame about who I am, the more I'm actually going to pursue behaviors that mm. confirm that core belief. So we that, actually that, look. I'm for, sorry, that confirm that core belief? We're looking yes. for behaviors that confirm shame? Yes. So, uh, you know, one example of this is like, you know, in middle school, my nickname was Donut. Uh, and I Mine grew too. Up, was it really? <laughs> yeah, well, my first name is Danish, so I got I got all Danish. the history names. Oh yeah. my gosh, I know we we share that story. <laughs> uh, so I grew up in you know the era of also the Pillsbury Doughboy commercials, mm. and so uh, I would get to the bus stop, and my bus stop peers would put their finger inside of my belly and do that kind of signature oh. Doughboy giggle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, and so what ended up happening is that, you know, I would feel ashamed of my body. I would feel ashamed of kind of who I was in my middle school. And then I would begin eating more brownies, uh, donuts. Um, and again, there's nothing wrong with any of those foods, but for me, the purpose was to actually reestablish uh, that judgment against myself. And so much later in life, like when I was in seminary, using porn was not just something that I felt shame about because I looked at it, but actually my core belief about myself was that I'm a deeply flawed, broken man. And if anyone really knew uh, the, the heartache of my life, the darkness of my life, they would run. Uh, and so then I would go to pornography to almost provide something of like, here's exhibit A of just how broken I am. I'm mm. a seminary student uh, that is a hypocrite. Um, and so it wasn't just that I felt shame in response to looking porn, looking at porn far more. Uh, I began to pursue eating behaviors, pornographic behaviors that confirm that core belief about who I was. Mm. Uh, and so in my book, I, I kind of use this example of uh, the the show Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. So the videographer of that show is a guy named Andy Casagrande. Hmm. And he was interviewed a couple of years ago and they said, Andy, what do you do when you're in the waters with a great white shark? And what he said is it's, you know, it's counterintuitive, 
but you actually swim right at that shark with the camera. And so what ends up happening is this great white shark hits the lens on the camera, realizes that it's not food, and then has a fear response of, I don't know what this is because everything in the whole entire ocean swims away from me as a great white. Right. I got to get out of here. And what Andy says is that if you do not act like prey, they will not treat you like prey. Mm. And to me, that is one of the greatest statements I've ever heard with regard to how to work with shame is that so oftentimes the power of shame in our lives is derived from our flight from it. Uh, mm. But really, it's only in turning to face our shame and bring it to the one who bears all shame on our behalf. Uh, that we can actually begin to experience some sense of power and victory over shame. So shame wants us running, hiding, living as prey. The gospel says, look, face your shame directly uh, because it's already been addressed. It's been atoned for. Uh, and so it, as we begin to turn and face our shame, uh, that's really where growth begins to come from. We talked about that sexual brokenness you know, can be a, a medical, uh, can be um, a moral, and can be a, uh, a counseling issue. Um, what is the role, Jay, of a professional counselor in helping a Christian grow to maturity in Christ, including you know, healing from sexual brokenness? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would highly encourage anyone who is struggling with uh, you know, sexual brokenness to see a therapist. And I, mm. I, I think when you begin to get a sense of these, these problems that I face are actually not random at all. Mm. Uh, they, they have a very long and predictable course, as I talked about, uh, you know, from a very basic kind of biblical theology framework, when we look at, uh, you know, Adam, who is just sinned, uh, eaten of the fruit that he was commanded not to eat from, you know, God doesn't come in to say, you know, you have sinned against me. Don't do that anymore. Stop. Bounce your eyes from that next tempting piece of fruit. Mm. Uh, God says, like, where are you? What have you done? Mm. Uh, to Hagar, who has just been immensely traumatized by the, by the first family of our faith, uh, she, she's out in the wilderness about to die and, and the angel of the Lord finds her. And I think asks two of the best questions that any of us could ever be asked, which are, where do you come from and where are you going? Yeah. And so if we are hearing the voice of God with regard to our sexual brokenness, we shouldn't just be hearing a sense of stop it or, you know, are you really continuing to do that? Mm. Uh, God comes to us and is curious about the path that got us there. And so I think what counseling really does is to kind of say, okay, like it, we know that there, there is real sin here. We know that there's real brokenness here. Uh, now let's be really curious about how it got here and allow the problems that you're facing to actually lead to a lot of growth in your life. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I would say, although there's often shame and stigma depending on where you are in the country with regard to uh, seeing a therapist, seeing a therapist is one of the greatest gifts that you can give yourself. Wow, some powerful stuff there. PJ, what were your thoughts? Yeah. Wow, what a different perspective to look at these kinds of issues in our lives as teachers to help us grow rather than sinful things that we need to bury. Mm. I was 
really struck by the, the fact that uh, Jay talked about porn offering a world uh, without thorns and without thistles, this, this sort of fantasy world, uh, almost, I mean, I know it sounds weird to say this, but almost a heaven on earth, a, a, a world under our control, completely under our control. Um, and that's, that's sort of what we're longing for. In some ways, uh, porn taps into uh, a good longing, but it's, it's a misdirected one. And uh, I found that very powerful. Brian, what, how about you? What, was, what struck you? That Shark Week story was incredible. <laughs> that uh, uh, part where you just said, swim directly at the great white shark. Dun, dun, that, dun, that was amazing. Dun, dun, yeah, dun, dun. I could hear the Jaws music. It, it was epic. Uh, but if you don't act like prey, then yes. you will not be prey. So don't be afraid to look at the emotion behind uh, what it is that you are looking for and delve into where something in your past might have come. And I do hope that uh, if anyone's been listening to the first half of this interview that you had, uh, won't be afraid to seek out some counseling to be able to investigate yeah. the stories that might be shaping this desire to have this kind of uh, control. That has been part one of our uh, interview with Jay Stringer. Uh, don't miss part two or any other of the Disciple Making Over Lunch podcasts by subscribing. Uh, you can also leave a comment on the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And speaking of hearing from you, uh, mm. we would love a chance to help make your disciple making better. We are part of the Northeastern District of the Christian Missionary Alliance District Disciple Making Ministry Team. Uh, that's the long version. Uh, the short version is we are the DDMT. And the DDMT. DDMT offers support and resources to help equip leaders of children, youth, and adult ministries. And you can reach us at nedcma.org forward slash ministries forward slash disciple making. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Brian. I'm Danish. And I'm PJ. And this has been Disciple Making Over Lunch.